Welcome to the One and O podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The One and O podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. And today we will talk about Texas number uh, five ranked class of the 2022 Hall. Uh, talk about the assistant coaches who have either departed or have been let go by Texas before getting into a little bit of basketball discussion with Chris Beard's team almost through its non-conference slate. Be sure you listen to our show on the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast hosted by Kevin Dunn and Paul Wadlington. Rate and review wherever you get your podcast, And be sure to always part, uh, patronize our following sponsors. Audiovisual consultations. Give them a call, 512-255-8678 to get the home TV setup of your dreams. Maybe too late to get it done by Christmas, but if you want to make it a New Year's resolution to start 2022, you can do that. That custom TV setup from AV Consultations. Go to their website, avconsultations.com, or give them a call, 512-255-8678 to get started. And we're also brought to you by Altstadt Brewery, Altstadt Beer. It is German beer made here and the best beer that you can find all throughout the state of Texas. The perfect stocking stuffer for the beer drinker in your life. The perfect thing to show up with to your holiday parties over the next couple of weeks. Nothing better than Altstadt Beer. No impurities, no regrets. There's definitely a, a few of those within my future. So uh, <laughs> we we're looking back on Texas National Signing Day. And kind of even before that, it, it seems like everything that possibly could have gone Texas way uh, in the wake of a five and seven season did. Lost a, a primary recruiting rival uh, to Lincoln Riley to USC. Uh, LSU went through its change. Uh, a lot of good news. Uh, Mario Cristobal, of course, leaving Oregon. Uh, helped out Texas in the class and you know then Kyle Flood with a little bit of help from some NIL of, of course made uh, made waves in the recruiting world by getting Cam Williams out of Duncanville, Kelvin Banks uh, just uh, and, and, and those are the, the guys that really kind of headline the, the class and Malik Ogbo as well on during the early signing period so uh, wrote about this on Inside Texas. A lot of help coming on the way in the trenches. And so Kyle Flood and Bo Davis, on top of what's a, what is a very good class elsewhere, uh, really bolstered what needed to be bolstered on this Texas uh, roster. Yeah, Texas took advantage of all of the coaching turnover around college football, right? You brought it up with Oklahoma, with LSU, with Notre Dame, with Oregon, with Miami. You know, some prominent college football teams switch coaches. I think we had more prominent college football programs changing coaches than ever before. So we've seen it, unfortunately, a couple of times over the last decade in Austin. Transition classes, generally not that great. Uh, especially when the changes happen a week or two before National Signing Day, which is when most of these changes went down across the country. So, yeah, the Longhorns absolutely reaping the benefits of all of the turnover we saw across college football. And it's a good thing. I mean, uh, to bring in a top five class after going five and seven, it just didn't feel like there was a whole lot of momentum for Steve Sarkeesian in year one. Felt like the honeymoon period kind of faded pretty quickly, but he's able to turn some things around and once again, take advantage of what was going on around him to put together what is a really, really good class and a very, very important class for Steve Sarkeesian and his coaching staff. And the, there's a lot of guys, uh, not just on the offensive line, but elsewhere, who may get asked to, uh, to, to help out early. Uh, I think when you look at the way that the 2019 class has gone very poorly, there's, there's a lot of roster holes that 
it's why they took a big defensive line class and they took a big offensive line class. So there are guys in this class who can help out early, not just in the trenches, but maybe even uh, on the, on the skill positions as well. Brennan Thompson brings an element of speed that kind of only Xavier Worthy has on this team right now. Uh, you've also got Terrence Brooks, a five-star corner out of Little Elm, who is a corner, but also has some versatility. There's a lot of, guys who can play early and especially a guy who may be taking the starting quarterback snaps as part of the transfer class with Quinn Ewers. We kind of buried the lead on that <laughs> one a little bit. Five-star quarterback making his homecoming to Texas. And uh, we kind of, as a result, saw Casey Thompson hop in the portal. So kind of sprung this on you. We forgot to talk, we talked about this before the show, but obviously something that we need to touch on. Quentin Ewers coming to Texas, Casey Thompson jumping in the portal. I feel like that's that's a upgrade as far as player, but there's still a lot of unproven and a lot of uncertainty with someone as green college experience-wise as Quinn Ewers, despite his talent. Yeah, no doubt about that. I know Quinn Ewers technically has a year of college football under his belt, but he really should be an incoming true freshman, right? He skipped his senior year of high school to enroll early at Ohio State, so he's still 18 years old, and he only took two snaps during his time in Columbus. Obviously, he got to practice against Ohio State, which, hey, that's better competition than going up against Texas high school football. Although, hey, don't get me wrong, high school football in the state is incredibly loaded right now. But, uh, yeah, we haven't seen a lot from Quinn Ewers at this level, so not sure how quickly things are going to click for him. But, man, this guy, the number one quarterback recruit in the country if he stayed in this class, super highly touted recruit. Everybody and their mother wanted this cat. I watched him play. Uh, in high school a couple of times, and there's a lot of talent there. So we'll wait and see, right? I mean, we've seen it before at the quarterback position. We've seen it at every position. And at Texas, where, hey, super highly touted guys don't live up to the billing when they get to Austin, hopefully that is not the case with Quinn Ewers. Really, really excited about this guy. And, and Joe, look, even if Quinn Ewers didn't transfer to Texas, I still felt like there was a chance that one of – Casey Thompson or Hudson Card was going to enter the portal. Like, obviously, now that Ewers is here, those guys feel like they have less of a chance to be the starting quarterback next year. And Casey Thompson only has one year of eligibility. So it makes sense that he wants to go play somewhere else. But man, like, considering how bad Casey Thompson and Hudson Card looked at times last year, maybe they felt like, ah, this isn't the best place for me. Like, even if I can win the job, maybe this offense just doesn't fit my skill set. Like, I wasn't recruited by this coach, I wasn't recruited to be in this offense. Maybe I should go somewhere else to maximize my chances of being a good college player and maybe being able to play on Sundays. So I had a belief that, hey, there's a chance that one of those guys enters the portal now that Quinn Ewers entered the fold. Uh, no surprise at all that, once again, Casey Thompson, a guy with one year of eligibility left, wants guaranteed playing time, wants a chance to really shine in his last uh, opportunity in college football. So uh, I'm going to miss him. I mean, that Alamo Bowl game will always be great. You know, he had a couple of good performances this year. There will always be a what if regarding the thumb injury, right? Like how much better mm -hmm. could Casey Thompson have been during the second half of this season if his thumb was 100%? We'll never know. Uh, but, man, like we've talked about this on a previous podcast. Sark could not have gone into next season with the same quarterback. Like I know Malik Murphy's coming in, and I'm glad he's still here. Believe me, I think he's got a chance to do some great things too. But you couldn't go into the same – excuse me, you couldn't go into next season – with pretty much the same quarterback room in terms of who's going to be your week one starter. 
Like that just would not have excited any Texas fan. Even if you brought in all of these other recruits and you made some coaching changes, like if you told Texas fans that, eh, you're going to get one of Casey Thompson or Hudson card in 2022. Most Texas fans would have been like, that's not good. Like, even if we had heard reports this off season that, Oh man, Casey Thompson's really figured it out. Oh, Hudson card. Now that it's his second year in the Stark offense, he really understands things. He's going to be so much better in year two. I'll speak for myself. And I feel like I could speak for some Texas fans. If not most Texas fans, I would have been very skeptical until I saw it actually take place on a Saturday in the fall. So Sark needed something to spice up the quarterback room. Obviously, Quinn Ewers does that. I assume Sark is going to say it's a competition, but, man, I fully expect Quinn Ewers to be QB1 when Texas takes the field next fall. You, me, and I think the majority of people. I think he hit everything spot on with, with regards to Casey Thompson and the, and the way that the, the quarterback room would have been received uh, without any sort of upgrade or addition outside of, of, of Malik Murphy. And, you know, we, we were inside Texas scouring sources for the portal. And, you know, I, I had always thought that Keaton Slovis would be a guy that would enter the portal with Lincoln Riley and, and Jackson Dart probably working together. And who knows what happens with Caleb Williams. I always thought maybe that would be the best option for Texas if, in, if Quinn Ewers didn't decide to go ahead and portal. Well, luckily for Texas, he did. And uh, the Longhorns beat out Texas Tech, who put together a, a good presentation, but it wasn't Texas. It wasn't the uniform that Quinn Ewers grew up wearing. It doesn't offer, you know, uh, Zach Kitley may be a great offensive line, but the combination of Steve Sarkeesian and the ability, the ability for other guys to likely want to play with Quinn Ewers really helped uh, seal that deal. It didn't help have immediate uh, benefits in that 2022 class or as immediate as maybe Texas would like, but there'll be benefits down the road. P portal players, wide receivers will want to play with someone like Quinn Ewers. And I think that's, that really helps, especially the other thing is he, he really does fit that offense. Uh, Casey Thompson, remember he was recruited to a, a Tom Herman offense that kind of wanted him to be something like JT Barrett, a guy who could mm -hmm. run from the tough yardage and uh, pass in, in, a, in a very pro style offense. Um, he, he adapted well. He, he didn't adapt perfectly, but he adapted really well to become the player he did. And that thumb injury, who knows? So we'll, we'll hopefully we'll see uh, a healthy Casey Thompson uh, next year. Maybe he, I, I still think he's a power five player. I'm not too sure how high up in the power five that's going to be. Uh, I don't know, you know, who, who knows what jobs will will open up at this point, but I know there are schools that need some quarterbacks right now, and he would definitely be, be an upgrade for a lot of those guys. So, yeah. Uh, and then as far as Quinn Ewers goes, yeah, he's just a, a fit in this offense guy who can make every throw, uh, make every throw accurately. There's a reason he's, he's ranked as highly as he was, or was ranked as highly as, as he is one of the top rated prospects of all time and just a great ad. So, what about the uh, the rest now for the rest of the class? What what about uh, some some other guys in that 2022 class that really caught your eye? Well, you touched on it earlier, uh, the offensive and defensive lines. I mean, you know how much I care about the trenches. I'm a broken record with how often I talk about the trenches and how important it is to win at the lines of scrimmage. Well, Texas did not do that last year, and more often than not, over the last dozen years, Texas has lost the battle in the trenches. Uh, they beefed up in a big way, six offensive linemen in this class and eight defensive line slash edge players 
in this class as well. So that's what excites me the most outside of Quinn Ewers. Obviously, the quarterback excites me a ton, and Quinn Ewers is the highest-rated QB recruit Texas has had since Vince Young. So that excites the hell out of me. But, yeah, getting guys to protect him up front, massive, and getting guys to attack opposing quarterbacks, also massive. To me, those are the three most important positions in football, right? The quarterback, the guys who protect the quarterback, and the guys who get after the other team's quarterback. And Texas attacked all three of those in a big, big way during this cycle. So, yeah, once again, taking advantage of some coaching turnover. You talked about Kelvin Banks and Cam Williams transferring or not transferring, but flipping from Oregon after Mario Cristobal took the Miami job. That's awesome. Uh, The NIL stuff is awesome as well. Uh, And yeah, I mean, Sark gets it and he preached it a lot. He talked about it throughout the course of last season, how it was important for Texas to win up front. They didn't do it last year. Hopefully the guys that they brought in will help them do that over the next three to four years. The only area I think on the defense that you have to look at in this class and be a little, a lot of concern about is, is linebacker. They, they did bring in Travell Johnson. And to me, I, I consider the edge players part of those defensive linemen. I think when you counted that 14, that's the same count that I had. And they had to take a class that big. They just simply did not put the numbers at those positions in the 2021 class. They needed to, they took two offensive linemen. So while six mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe potentially seven, if it's the right seven offensive linemen uh, is a large class. That's, that's what, uh, nine or 10 or, you know, over two years. That, that's the healthy number. That's, that's fine. Or eight or nine over two years, I guess, if I can do math. So I think that's, that's fine. That helps normalize that position some, and especially on the defensive line where I think they only saw, you know, Byron Murphy's a guy who has definitely flashed, but outside of that, there's some, you know, a lot of questions. So, guys who will be able to get in there early, but linebackers kind of a hole. The, the, yeah. the area right behind uh, those those big defensive front, the middle linebacker spot. Travell Johnson, I think, is a, it's a good way to stay tapped into that Arlington-Martin pipeline, which has produced a lot of good prospects out of the DFW area. But if there's one area, problem area on defense, it's definitely uh, there at, at linebacker. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I mean, it's great that DeMarvion Overshone's coming back for another season, but outside of him, you did not get great linebacker play this past season. And yeah, you only have one linebacker signed in this class too. And look, I don't know how realistic it would be to expect any true freshman linebacker to come in and make an immediate impact, but you would have liked to uh, stock up there a little bit more. Maybe Sar can do that, Joe. I mean, you know this better than I do. Uh, obviously most of the recruits have already put pen to paper and signed, but look, we've got another national signing day coming up in a couple of months, any potential either recruiting wise or transfer portal wise, where Texas can get another linebacker before the start of next season. I think this is going to be a place where, where start looks for the portal, because like you mentioned, it's tough to come in at, at, at freshman as a freshman and play linebacker. They're probably looking for some experience there. One of the names we thought they might be interested in was the UNLV transfer with Jacoby Windham, uh, who was one of the best players out in the Mountain West and in college football on the defensive side of the ball this year. He elected to go to Michigan State. I don't know how hard Texas really pursued him, but there are some other options in the portal. Florida's got a linebacker in there. Uh, Who knows what happens after bowl season. And transfers, I don't think, are bound by that first Wednesday in February. So – uh, there's going to be some guys who probably pop in there, uh, being on the lookout for that. That's that. I, that's where I would assume Texas is going to try to make some hay with with getting uh, a linebacker going forward. 
Yeah, linebacker definitely a position they need to attack, and then wide receiver too. And we'll we'll probably transition into uh, a cause and effect for this wide receiver recruiting for the class of 2022. But you know, you got Brandon Thompson, the four star cat who is expected to be really good. He's got a ton of speed. I'm excited about him coming into the fold. Then you got Savion Red to flip his commitment and commit to UT. Savion Bryce, who's an athlete technically. I think he could play some receiver as well. But, man, outside of Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington, when he was healthy, you just didn't get a lot of that wide receiver room. So that's another position. If I'm Steve Sarkeesian, I may be looking at the portal to try to bring in one or two more guys who can help you immediately. Yeah, I think that's also a, a pretty likely occurrence. Uh, Brendan Thompson, like I mentioned, he he's if, if Xavier Worthy could play after coming in for a summer and be what 160, I feel like Brendan Thompson can can do the same thing as well. He may need to bulk up a little bit because he is going to run track this season, uh, and he's going to be in track shape a little bit more than football shape by the time he shows up in Austin in, in June. But if, if Xavier Worthy, uh, maybe Xavier Worthy is just that that's special and, and, and can do that and others can't. But I feel like Brendan Thompson might be able to, to get that done. And I feel like there's a slight expectation that that, that may happen. But I, I feel like they're going to go ahead and, and look for some, some wide receivers in the portal as well. They may, they may tell a couple uh, on this team, you know, your, your best – or a few on this team may realize that their best bet for playing time isn't in Austin – uh, as far as uh, Savion Red goes, that's one of those guys you watch his film and you just see football player. Uh, when you're playing in, in, in a DFW district and uh, you're just doing football things, there's no better way to describe it than just being a football player. That's a guy that, you know, the roster can, can always use. And maybe he, he maximizes his skill at receiver. Maybe it's at running back. Who knows where it might be. But that's, that's just a guy that, you know, you can see the toughness on his film. You know, they threw him at quarterback just because he was the best player on that team. And he would, you know, just basically run lead, uh, you know, just lead plays the whole time. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious to see what he looks like with development from a new, whoever the new wide receiver coach is. Uh, and, I'm, uh, and as far as Xavier and Bryce goes, I think he's going to end up on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but still, nice little win over Oklahoma and Texas Tech at the tail end to shore up numbers at that spot. And then – uh, you know, one, one other place that now with Jared Wiley entering the transfer portal and Cade Brewer graduating that they may need to look to get just one player um, is, is the tight end position. Mm -hmm. uh, they, you know, Juan Davis, Gunnar Helm, and Jatavian Sanders, that's a nice trio to, of, of young players that you hope takes a step in this spring. Uh, two of those guys, it'll be their second spring. One of them, it'll be his first with Jatavian Sanders, but maybe they need to add a, a number there. Uh, in order to, you know, shore up the, the tight end numbers since they yeah. did not sign any in this 2022 class. Agreed. Now, hopefully, Jatavion Sanders can live up to the hype, right? We didn't see him hardly at all last year, but understandable. Uh, a guy kind of transitioning to a new position, a guy who was not in early last year. So uh, I was excited. I was hopeful that we'd see good things from JT Sanders as a freshman. It didn't happen, but we're still talking about a five-star, one of the highest-touted recruits in the country for the class of 2021. Hopefully we could see more from him at the tight end spot. But, yeah, even if he is there, you just need bodies. You need numbers in that tight end room since uh, you felt relatively thin there last year and he lost uh, maybe your two most impactful players at that spot. Now, I hate to rain on this parade, Joe, 
because every Texas fan is excited about this recruiting class and the fact that Sark was able to bring in Quinn Ewers and, you know, reel in a top five recruiting class after a five and seven season. It's interesting. This class that Texas brought in would actually be Tom Herman's worst full class by average recruit ranking. Like, even if you throw Quinn Ewers in there, who's technically a transfer and not a recruit, even if you threw in his perfect recruiting ranking, this year's class, in terms of average rating, ranks below Tom Herman's three full classes when he was in Austin. So the question is still there. Can Steve Sarkeesian and the staff develop? And that was obviously the problem with Tom Herman's staff. That was obviously the problem with Charlie Strong's staff. But can they develop? Like Tom Herman, with on paper better talent, was not able to develop. So can Steve Sarkeesian, with this talent, can he actually turn these guys into something? And can he actually turn that into wins on Saturdays in the fall? So, like, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of thing. This is a number of years now, Joe, where we've seen Texas bring in really, really good recruiting classes. Like, it even happened under Charlie Strong. Texas brought in a lot of top 10 classes over the last 10 to 12 years, but obviously that wasn't translating on the field. So will we see that from Steve Sarkeesian? Obviously, that's going to determine whether or not his tenure here is successful. Absolutely. I, that's that's the question that's outstanding right now. Is yeah. will, will he be able to develop? And maybe one position you can look at to see if he does is that quarterback position. Uh, basically, you know, we did not see – for a variety of reasons, maybe it was the thumb, maybe it was the offensive line, uh, but quarterback development during this – this past season was probably a little slower or not non-existent to some, but a lot, probably a lot slower than a lot of people would have preferred. I think Malik Murphy is going to be a very good test of whether, you know, that development is able to occur at Texas. Now, I think there's a lot of people who want to try and compare him to Tyrone Swoops. That's, I, I think that's a comparison that's pretty far off. Tyrone Swoops was not a good passer. Uh, and he was on a, what, 2-8 and eight football team in 3A back in the day, so 4A now, something like that. Uh, Malik Murphy just helped his team win a state championship in California. Uh, this is a guy who has a, a great reputation out west. Uh, he has – he can – he's got great arm strength. Uh, he is, has good accuracy. The question is going to be can he process at a high speed and – and be able to, you know, make the throws when, when the bullets are flying live. So um, I, I think it's an exciting prospect, and mm-hmm. kudos to him for not only knowing Texas was pursuing a, a second quarterback and sticking with his commitment, but sticking with his commitment even after Quinn Ewers, the trans, his transfer was announced. He's a guy I've always kind of been excited about a little bit more so, uh, maybe than some other people. And, you know, I think the best thing for him is that he's not going to be expected to play early. He's going to be able to develop and, you know, learn this offense and be, be able to be ready whenever his time is called. And maybe when yeah. he's, uh, you know, whatever, when, if, when Quinn Ewers goes to, to the NFL or who knows, maybe goes elsewhere, uh, maybe he will, he will uh, be ready to roll. Yeah, I hope he sticks it out, right? I mean, we'll see what happens. 50% of four or five-star quarterbacks transfer. And right now there's no obvious path to playing time for Malik Murphy in the short term. But look, man, if things go right for Quinn Ewers, he's at Texas for two years, then he's off to the NFL. Like that's the best case scenario for everybody. That's best case for Quinn, and that's best case for Texas because that means, well, he's playing really well and helping Texas win a lot of games. 
then there's an opportunity there for Malik Murphy entering his third year, his redshirt sophomore year, to be the guy at UT. So hopefully that's what happens, and hopefully he does progress and develop under Steve Sarkeesian, and by the time his number is called, he's uh, he's ready to go. So, yeah, I'm excited about this guy. Uh, it, it seemed like he progressively got better throughout the course of his high school career. You mentioned it led his team to a state championship game or a state championship game win and performed well at the elite 11 last year too. So yeah, excited about Malik Murphy and I'm with you. I was thrilled when he actually put pin to paper. Cause I got a little nervous after the Quinn Ewers dropped and you, know, you, you would take Quinn Ewers over Malik Murphy, but you want to have both of those guys. And I was really, really excited when uh, Malik Murphy actually signed to Texas and stuck through his commitment. So yeah, hopefully down the road, a couple of years from now, Malik Murphy can be a big part of this program I'm excited that he's coming to Austin, too. By all accounts, he's a high-character guy, a good guy to have in the locker room as well. Absolutely. And then the last position uh, we can go over is running back. Uh, right now, just have Jaden Blue in, in the class, I believe, a guy who did not play his senior year of high school. And, and to me, yes, that does save some hits. And, and yes, that's uh, you know a good way to you know prepare for the next level. But I'm, I'm one of those guys who thinks football players should play football. And, and that – you know, I know the bull opt out conversation to me, that's that's a different one because those are postseason exhibitions, for lack of a better term. And if you're trying to go be a third round pick, you, there's no reason to, to risk your ACL. But, you know, a high school football season, opting out of out of that uh, to try and save yourself. You know, I there, there's something I, I don't like about hmm. that, uh, especially, you know, when you're relied upon isn't the right word but you know that that's your football team's representing your community and you're, you're electing not to represent the community I know we're kind of in a era of player empowerment and saying that you know what players decide to do is in their best interest and I know that's in Jaden Blue's best interest is to not take those hits and prepare for the next level yeah but I, I I'm one of those people who thinks yeah, I, not not. I don't want to say quitting because I think we throw that term around too much. But uh, I I just don't like that a you know a star football player elected not to play football during his senior year and is now showing up at Texas without having taken a hit in you know quite some time. A pretty important facet for a running back. Yeah, it's pretty weird, right? Two guys that Texas is bringing in in this class skipped their senior year of high school. Now, for Quinn Ewers, it was different, right? He enrolled at Ohio State. He actually. played still. That's yeah, he other, played. He actually right, He practiced. was practicing Tuesday through Friday. For sure. So, Jaden Blue, very different. Uh, not something that we see very often in high school football. So, look, my hope is, and I said this at the time when I was doing radio in Austin, like, the Texas coaches need to make sure Jaden Blue is staying in shape. Like if he was going to opt out of his senior year of high school, well, he needed to keep working out. And I assume Jaden Blue was doing that. Like I assume he was still lifting weights. He was still working out. He was still staying in shape, still doing things that can help him become a better football player. Hopefully the Texas coaches were kind of keeping tabs on him to make sure that that was the case, to make sure that he wasn't, you know, just taking a few months off, not really caring about football, not staying in shape, eating badly, maybe putting on a few pounds that he shouldn't put on. Hopefully none of that happened. And I haven't heard anything like that happening. So uh, I've got reason to believe that he, he did what he needed to do and he did what the Texas coaches asked him to do despite opting out of his last year of high school. So, yeah, it's weird. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. But, look, Texas is fine at the running back spot right now. 
And so I'm okay with him only bringing in one guy. And Jaden Blue, I still think, is a guy who's a talented football player and a guy who can contribute during his Texas career. But, man, Texas has four dudes in front of him that are really, really good football players. So even if it does take Jaden Blue a little bit of time to get back into, I don't know, game day shape and just get used to being in that routine of actually being a football player again, uh, I think that's okay because I just don't think Texas is going to need him in the short term. Yeah, when he's on the field, he's he's got some really great – speed for that running back position and uh, has the, the size you're looking for. So uh, want to talk about his uh, his now no longer there running back coach or anything yeah. else from that 2022 class you want to go over? No, nah, let's get into Stan Drayton, man, because uh, this so, was pretty surprising and pretty surprising timing too. Yeah, literally pretty much uh, he, Steve Sarkeesian was asked about this during his signing day press conference, and that's kind of when the news broke that Stan Drayton, who who had, I believe, interviewed for jobs in the past. I remember a few years ago, um, Akron was was a name that uh, popped up, and that was filled by Joe Moorhead this past year. But Stan Drayton, after Temple, who uh, it, some people think are kind of floundering in the, what is it, the American Conference right now, uh, they made a head coaching move and decided to hire Stan Drayton. Um, his first crack at being a head coach after – kind of bouncing all over the country, college for most of his career, a couple stops in the NFL. I don't think you're going to find anybody who has a bad thing to say about Stan Drayton, the man, or Stan Drayton, the coach. Uh, whenever guys got on campus, they got better. It's hard to see, you know, with a guy like Bijan Robinson, he's so naturally gifted that, you know, you may think, oh, okay, you know, what I, I could coach these guys. Stan Drayton took a quarterback Granted, a quarterback who did run a lot of thought at the high school level, but he took a quarterback in Rashawn Johnson and made him into a quality running back who played his freshman year and played well. So Stan Drayton is – and, of course, you have to go back and look at what he did with uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, who's the one that he had at Villanova that became uh, well-known? Um I'm trying to remember his name. He, he's basically – Sam Drayton – B. John Robinson is not the first great running back that Sam Drayton has worked with, and neither was Ezekiel Elliott. This is a guy who has been able to coach, and now is – you know, even Tom Herman praised him and gave him that associate head coaching title. Yeah. And I remember a point when Tom Herman said, you know, if something happens and I had to leave, Stan would, would be running the show. Uh, so this is someone who's who's been looked up to – uh, by both players and coaches at the Texas, on the Texas staff, and now is getting an opportunity to lead his own program. Is it Brian Westbrook you're thinking of? Brian Westbrook. That's who I'm thinking of. There you go. Wow, I never put that together. I, I was thinking of like running backs who went to Villanova who were relevant over the last few decades, and that's like the only guy. That's that pretty much it. Yeah, that might be the only relevant Villanova football player uh, over the last couple of decades. I, I don't know how many people actually knew they played football at Villanova. But yeah, to your point, Stan Drayton has a tremendous track record everywhere he's been. He's had success. He did a great job at Texas, both in recruiting and development. You laid it out perfectly. Rojo's the best example. Uh, I mean, he looked like a natural playing running back early too. And yeah, he switched positions like a week before his first year on the 40 acres. So uh, spectacular, man. And, and, and look, I think this is a good thing for Texas. Obviously I'm going to miss Stan Drayton. Obviously I think he's a loss, but like good programs, have their assistant coaches poached. I mean, look at Alabama, like Steve Sarkeesian, the prime example. Like if you're running a great program, then other schools are going to want to hire your staffers. 
So, like, I know Texas last year wasn't good, but, like, Stan Drayton doing the job that he did at Texas with the running back spot, well, that shows you, like, he did a really, really good job because other schools value him and they want him to be there too. So, in a perfect world, this is not a one-off. In a perfect world, shoot, next year, Kyle Flood gets a head coaching opportunity somewhere else. And Pete Kwiatkowski gets a head coaching opportunity somewhere else if he wants one. And maybe another position coach or two gets the opportunity to be either a coordinator or a head coach somewhere else. So, like, these are signs of a healthy program. Texas is not that right now. But, like, if you see more of this, Joe, I think that means Texas is headed in the right direction. So, I'll miss Stan Drayton. He's a loss. There's no doubt about it. But I I almost want to see more stuff like this happen going forward because that means the program is closer to being where it needs to be. Yep, and, but the, the only downside is that test who you bring in. And I think we're seeing Clemson going through that right now after they lost both Tony Elliott and Brent Venables. But uh, Stan Drayton, uh, since he left, uh, Texas made a move pretty quickly in order to replace him. And I think if there was going to be one area of Stan Drayton where you were, you know, not upset, but hoping for more, it would be volume recruiting. Running backs, you know, you recruit one a year. Kyle Flood had to recruit six guys uh, that we know of and probably recruited at least 20 going throughout the process. Stan Drayton, uh, you know, had Jamari Miller in the fold for a while and Jaden Blue, uh, you know, looked at uh, uh, De'Anthony Gatson and Pep Tavoris Jones. So that's not very many guys. I guess if you're, you wanted to be critical, you would hope that uh, you get a volume or recruiter out of that position. And I think their replacement, at least very, very early indications uh, and show that Deshard Choice may be able to do that. This is someone who left his alma mater to go work with Lincoln Riley at USC and then pretty quickly came to work with Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. And we posted this on Inside Texas uh, not too long after he got hired. Uh, he was already looking in the Houston area, but he wasn't looking for running backs. He was asking some coaches for guys at a bunch of different positions. So uh, this is someone who, hey, Dallas Cowboys, you know a little bit about Deshard Choice. And yeah. I think if you're someone who can play at that level, you could probably coach uh, pretty similarly as well. Um, this is someone who I think in, in a unique wor- you, in a perfect world, Steve Sarkeesian is looking for and hoping that he is a, able to recruit kind of like Jeff Banks and be maybe not, you know, that's that's a tall or that's a tall uh, task to live up to, but someone who's not just recruiting his one position. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Tashard Choice was a great college running back. You mentioned it played in the NFL for a few years as well. And man, Lincoln Riley, for my money, is the best offensive mind in college football. So if Lincoln Riley wanted this guy, then I am happy that he's coming to Texas. And I know Oklahoma fans are happy with that too. Like it's rare where Texas and Oklahoma fans can both be happy about the same thing. But I know Sooner fans are reveling that uh, Tashard Choice basically took the USC job for a week and then uh, decided to come to Texas. Uh, hopefully this doesn't turn into a Brew McCoy situation, Joe, or Tashard Choice like decides to go back to USC at some point. But, no, nah, I like this I guy, not. man. Yeah, I like this I've guy. I've already I lived like through enough hire. of that. Yep, and he's been at Georgia Tech the last couple of years, and Georgia Tech just had a running back transfer to Alabama. Uh, so Georgia Tech's running games, game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Georgia Tech's running game has been pretty successful the last couple of years while Tashar Choice was there. Uh, he's a young dude. He's still in his 30s. I think he's relatable to a lot of these kids. He's been doing good things on the recruiting trail, as you just mentioned. So feels like there's a lot to like for Tashar Choice. Not as proven of a resume 
as Stan Drayton, but feels like he's done a lot of good things in his early coaching career. Obviously, he's got playing experience. That's a guy that dudes want to learn from, right? A guy who played in the NFL, a guy who had some success in the league, too. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about this get. Hopefully, he can help development, and hopefully he can uh, be a beast on the recruiting trail like you were talking about. Probably a safe bet to hitch your professional wagon to Dijon Robinson just a little bit. Yeah. So. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of all I got about choice. You want to talk about the other uh, the move that we we've seen happen in these past couple of days? Yeah, a move that needed to happen years ago, honestly, Joe. And this is not hindsight being twenty twenty. This is something you and I talked about on this podcast. This is something that I know I talked about when I was doing radio in Austin. Uh, this is a move that once again should have been made a while ago, and thankfully it's being made. But I think Texas might be in a little bit of a hole because they waited so long to do this thing. Yeah, uh, Andre Coleman uh, reportedly let go uh, by Steve Sarkeesian. And, and one aspect I think you have to remember about Andre Coleman's tenure in Austin, uh, he, was, he, was promo- he was promoted after about like a month-long wait or so uh, in that 2020 class or in that, what was it, the 2019 season, but ahead of that 2020 cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, promoted after about like a month-long wait and finally – Tom Herman decided, you know what, the guy I need to hire is, is right here in my office. Uh, if you remember when Steve Sarkeesian first showed up on campus, there was about two, maybe even three guys that he interviewed or, or tried to bring to Texas with him who elected to stay at their own place. And then that's when he decided, you know, Andre Coleman is here. Yeah. The players like him. This yeah, is then- someone who I can, I can work with. And uh, hope that, you know, maybe that offense and maybe Xavier Worthy's play would help him out on the trail. Well, it only helped them so much on the trail with, with uh, you know, landing Brennan Thompson out of that top tier wide receiver group in state. Uh, he had Evan Stewart and he then no longer had Evan Stewart. Now Evan Stewart's going to Texas A&M. So I, the, we saw some good come uh, from the wide receiver position this year a little bit more than last. Mm. Not as much as we needed to see and not as much as we need to see on the recruiting trail either. I wouldn't say we saw some good. I would say we saw one good, and that was Xavier Worthy. And mm. Texas got lucky to get Xavier Worthy, right? I mean, he had committed and signed to go play at Michigan. And if he would have gotten into Michigan, then he wouldn't be here. So Andre Coleman did a horrible job here, man. I didn't want Tom Herman to promote him to wide receivers coach. I didn't want Steve Sarkeesian to keep him around as wide receivers coach. Like this move had to be done. Uh, That position has not been developed at all over the last couple of years. There are so many examples. You look at guys like Marcus Washington and Alvante Woodard, like guys who were in the program for a long time, who are highly touted recruits who just really did not amount to anything during their Texas careers. Um, uh, Yeah. Like Andre Coleman, it just didn't do it for me and he hasn't done it for me for years. So this was a really, really good in-state wide receivers class and Texas missed out on most of the big fish out there. So yeah, there, there are two things as a position coach that you need to do. You need to recruit, you need to develop. And Andre Coleman did neither of those things. And the funny thing is you talked about the timeline, right? With Steve Sarkeesian, you know, reportedly interviewing a couple of wide receivers coaches and then sticking with Andre Coleman and Sark tried to BS us. And it's like, Oh, I love this guy. I wanted to hire this guy at different destinations in my past. Like I, I always wanted this guy. We know that wasn't true. We know that wasn't true because Sark went out and tried to hire some other people away. So I don't even know if Sark was fully bought in 
on Andre Coleman. But yeah, man, I mean, if, if Armani Winfield and Evan Stewart turn out to be studs at their respective schools, then it's going to sting a little bit because it will feel like Texas could have had those dudes here in Austin. So uh, yeah, man, a move once again, that probably should have been made a couple of years ago. Like, I don't know if Andre Coleman should have ever gotten the job. I, I hate to dunk on a guy who just got fired, but um, he, uh, yeah, just didn't live up to, to what he needed to live up to Joe. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's kind of unclear who's going to be the guy to uh, replace him at this point. One of the names that's been kind of bandied about is Brendan Marion from Pitt, which would be uh, not just a recruiting upgrade, it seems like, but a developmental upgrade just helped with the uh, uh, just help, you know, develop a, a Blitnikoff Award winner this past season. Also kind of his own schematic guy. He's got a, a offense that helped lead the largest point spread upset in, in uh, recorded gambling history a couple of years ago. So if that's the guy, that would be quite a land for, for the Longhorns. Yeah. Uh, but it's still really early and, you know, that's kind of only been the first name that's popped up so far. Uh, we'll see what else beca- becomes of it. And there's really no rush uh, at this point either. I mean, yes, you'd like to have a wide receiver coach in place. So, you know, transfers and other high school prospects can know who's going to be coaching them, but, you know, this is going to be Steve Sarkeesian's offense, and that's going to help. That, heck, that may be kind of appealing to any wide receiver coach at this point. Yeah, I would think so, too. I would think it's a pretty attractive job, right, to work with Sark and to work with some of the guys who are here on campus already. Uh, Rashad Samples is another name that some Texas fans are throwing around as a potential wide receivers coach at Texas. Guys at SMU right now is known as a stud recruiter, uh, potentially poaching him away from Dallas could be something the Longhorns look at too, but I like Marion as well. So there are some options and uh, I think Sark's going to immediately upgrade the wide receivers coach with whoever he decides to hire. Yeah, I think so too. Anything else or uh, you want to start talking a little uh, hoops action? Let's go to basketball, man. All right. So Texas finally notched a top 100 win uh, in, in the recent days, winning the against Stanford in the coast-to-coast challenge, I believe it's called. Uh, finally grabs a top 100 win. I think they are, at least in Ken Palm, I think Stanford's number 90. And they had failed, you know, their other two tests. Gonzaga's quite a test, of course. Uh, but, you know, that trip to Seton Hall, we saw the offense stag- stagnate for, you know, a seven-minute stretch, whatever, whatever it was, and just were unable to uh, respond to the length that the Pirates had. Um and that kind of feeds into one of my complaints about Chris Beard and one that I think a lot of people are starting to recognize. But if you were paying attention earlier, uh, way earlier, uh, you would see, you know, this is this is who Chris Beard is, is that, yes, there are some highlight games, but he doesn't typically create challenging schedules. And it made a lot of sense this year, considering the, the number of transfers but some of these teams are just way weaker than they need to be. And I don't know if we've seen the team gel as much as we would like, at least on the offensive end. This is a great defensive team, one of the top defensive teams in the country, number one in scoring defense right now. Of course, that's some problems on the interior, but they're, they're able to kind of prevent player uh, opposing teams from getting into the interior with their defense. But uh, where they are struggling is on offense against quality teams and also on the rebounding side. And maybe we'll see a change with that with Dylan DeSue. But I, as far as, you know, this entire roster, 
we haven't really seen them challenged. And the two times they were, they, they didn't respond as well as they needed to in order to get the win. Yeah, I'm glad they got that win at Stanford. I guess it was a neutral game in Vegas. I'm glad they got that win over Stanford because that was really their last chance at a quality non-conference win, at least before they play Tennessee in the Big 12 SEC Challenge in a couple of months. So they needed to get that one, right? Obviously, you would have loved to get two or three of those three non-conference games with Stanford, Seton Hall, and Gonzaga. They end up going one and two. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I just, I love college basketball and I love great college basketball games. So like just the fan in me wanted to see Texas take on some tougher competition in the non-con, but you're right. Maybe not the worst year to have a weaker non-conference slate as everyone just tries to find their roles and mesh and build chemistry together. Uh, but yeah, Texas really needed to win that game because if they couldn't even beat Stanford, who I don't think is a tournament team, then I don't know how you could have expected them to be that good in Big 12 conference play. The Big 12 is the deepest and best league in college basketball this year, in my opinion. So if you go over against all of the quality opponents that you had in the non-con, I don't know how high of expectations you could have realistically had once you got into conference play. But yeah, look, this is what Chris Beard does. And look, there's some frustration. I saw it during the Stanford game, looking at Twitter on Sunday, like, Oh, the offense, this, the offense, that like Chris Beard's teams have never been super great offensively. Like he's been a defensive oriented coach. Now, has he been a better offensive coach than what we've seen from this Texas team? Yeah. Has he had more offensive success than what we saw from Shaka smart teams in Austin? Yes. And I, and I think that will happen. I think that will come, but like you shouldn't have expected the running horns here. You shouldn't have expected the second coming of Tommy Penders to be coaching Texas. Like if you followed Chris Beard over the last few years, you know that his teams generally win with defense. They generally win games in the fifties and sixties. They like to grind it out, slow things down and just out physical you. So it's a different mindset for a lot of these guys, pretty much all of these guys, right? Even the guys who have been at Texas in the past, it's a different style and a different mindset that they're having to buy into than what they are used to. So understandable that it's taking a little bit of time, but yeah, I mean, I, I was expecting games like Sunday uh, to happen. We saw that in Jersey when they played Seton Hall. Obviously, I wish that was a win. I wish we saw more offensively from Texas down the stretch, but like, man, I think a lot of the good teams that Texas plays against this year, if if things go well, the games are going to be played in the 60s. Like, I think that's what Chris Beard wants. So, uh, yeah, I mean, not not a perfect start to the season by any stretch, but um, hopefully this team can be relevant in conference play and hopefully they compete with the big dogs because there are a lot of them in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, every Big 12 team is top 110, Bob. That's, that's going to be – and so basically by not playing those – or not beating those top teams and not playing very many top teams, they're staking everything on Big 12 play, which, I mean, you can do. That's, that's fine. And, uh, you know, getting, getting gelled against – some inferior opponents is, is the strategy he wants to use, but uh, it's, it's just, it's kind of disappointing. And, and, and that's the other thing you talk about them playing in the sixties and I'm not trying to, you know, complain about the fashion in which they're winning. I'm just complaining about who they are playing and not challenging sure. themselves. But you, you talk about them playing in the sixties. They are the second slowest team in the country right now. And that's with, you know, a, all Big Ten point guard and Marcus Carr, who can get his own shot. That's with, you know, Andrew Jones, who's one of the best open floor players in the Big 12. That's with Courtney Ramey, who's uh, a very experienced player. Uh, you know, you look at the guys on the – basically, they're, they're not starting guys 
are playing very many guys who haven't played much college basketball, and yet they're still just grinding it out, going slow, going slow. And I know, like you mentioned, that's that's Chris Beard's MO. You played in the 60s, but do they have to be second to last <laughs> in, in pace for that to for it to be that way? Especially the funny thing is, and uh, you, you know, I think Chris Beard was asked the other day about this. He said, you know, we want to play fast. But do you? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think there's I, I don't want to complain about eight and two because I know that that's better than, you know, any of the alternatives. But there's I, I, I'm very worried that the way that they're playing right now isn't going to prepare them for when they have to go to fog out or heck, whenever they play. Oklahoma State at Gallagher Iowa, or even even Iowa State. Like there, there are good teams in the Big Twelve this year that have the size that uh, you know can can give Texas problems, even with Dylan DeSue back, and he's not some like you know solve every issue type guy with with what he is. He'll help with rebounding, but there's some other places he's not going to be able to fix. I'm just, you know, part of me wonders if this is a team that's going to like start stumbling into conference play and find itself on the bubble. And when you're talking about Monday night and Monday night this year, you can't find yourself on the bubble in year one. No, that wouldn't be great, especially considering all of the talent on this team. Uh, man, being on the bubble was good enough to keep Shaka Smart around for six years. So I know you have yeah. high expectations, but it would be pretty funny for all Texas fans to take that same mindset with uh, what has seemingly been acceptable around Austin over the last few years, but no, nah, you're, you're right. Look, uh, this is a tournament team. I don't, I don't think they're going to be on the bubble. Do I think they're going to be a one or two seed? Like some people thought before the season? No, probably not. But um, yeah, that is interesting. And look, going up tempo, like you get easy baskets in transition. This is a great defensive league, the big 12. Like you want to get buckets before opposing teams can set up their defenses. And you do that by creating takeaways or by creating turnovers and running. And Texas has been creating a lot of turnovers this year, but they're not running as much as they used to. It feels like they're more content just slowing things down and running their offense. So it's weird. Can I take a guess on who the the slowest team in college basketball is, Joe? Go ahead. Is it Virginia? It is Virginia. Yeah, it is Virginia. Look, Virginia is not that good this year, but Virginia just a couple of years ago won a national championship against Chris Beard, playing that style of basketball. So it can win. It can be successful. But yeah, I would want the easier buckets in transition. And I think those could be there for Texas because once again, they create a lot of turnovers. So we'll see what happens, man. I mean, it's this non-conference slate didn't give you a whole lot to work with in terms of judging Texas and trying to figure out how good Texas is and where they stack up against college basketball's elite. But we're going to learn very, very early on once the calendar shifts to 2022, just how good Texas is. Cause there aren't really any days off in the big 12. Like last year, man, Iowa state was God awful. Uh, Kansas state was God awful. Uh, you know, TCU, not very good. All of those teams are much improved. Iowa state's undefeated. They're just outside the top 10 right now. Uh, you know, I don't think Kansas State's that great, but they're better this year than they were last year. Same thing with TCU. Like you've got uh, this conference is absolutely loaded right now. So there aren't any easy wins. There aren't any Alabama states or Arkansas Pine Bluffs on your schedule once this thing gets to January. So, yeah, Texas has two more easy wins with Alabama State and Incarnate Word. But right after that, man, it is no rest at all for the horns and they're going to be tested quickly. So once again, aesthetically, 
it's not always going to be there with Chris Beard. I think we should have known that when we hired this guy. If you've watched this guy the last couple of years, it's not the sexiest brand of basketball. It's not super up-tempo. It's not Nate Oates at Alabama. It's not Eric Musselman in Arkansas. But Chris Beard has obviously found a way to have a lot of success with this type of system. So hopefully that can translate here to Austin. I'm excited to see it. But, yeah, I'm with you. Would have liked to see a couple of more tougher non-conference games for UT and would have liked to have seen – them go two and one instead of one and two against the three tournament ish teams that they've played so far. Exactly. Are, are you emotionally prepared for when Gerald Liddell returns to the Irwin center tomorrow? Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. Alabama state. I forgot he was there. He's probably their leading scorer by a long shot. I think he may be their best player. <laughs> yeah. No surprise. And there. That's that's, I know nothing about Alabama state, but. Do I need to do I need to go to Austin? Do, do we need to be there to pay our respects to Gerald Liddell? No. Okay. Sorry, I think you're good. Gerald. Stay at home. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a good call. I'll, I'll be up there for the Rick Barnes game in February. Yeah. I'll pay my respects That'll be a fun to the one. GOAT. But, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm coming up for Alabama State. Anything else, or uh, did we, do, we, do we need to have a lock of the week? We just got done – I just got done watching the – Famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Haven't really looked at any of the lines. Want to do a lock of the week or uh, anything else we got? Who won that game? Uh, Wyoming in a, you know, basically a guy who is doing a Taysom Hill impersonation helped Wyoming to uh, a big win in, in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Ah, important to throw that word famous in there. Boy, a rough start to bowl season for the Mac. Uh, we can do a lock of the week. That's fine. Yeah. I'm scrolling through right now to try try to find the games between like now and next week. Uh, You know what? I'll do this. I'll go with this one. And my locks of the week have been so bad. I feel like I owe an apology to this fan. I can't do that because that game's tonight. People will think I'm cheating because this podcast might not be uploaded by the time UTSA and San Diego State start. I was going to take UTSA plus three, but people might not listen until the game's already over. So if I get it right, they'll think I cheated. And if I get it wrong, they'll think I'm the dumbest person ever because the game had already been played. Uh, what are we doing? What are we doing? You see anything? I got I got a Christmas present for you. All right, shoot. 1.30 on Christmas Day, the Camellia Bowl. Georgia okay. State minus six against Ball State. I think it's the Panthers. Is that Georgia State? I think they are. Uh, yes. I think they they cover the six pretty easy and give the good people of. Uh, is that Statesboro where that's at? I think that's where the uh, Georgia State is. I think they take care of it. No, that may be uh, the team that's in Atlanta. Either way, Georgia State six points. I think they take care of Ball State. I think they are in Atlanta. All right, you know what? I'm going to back the military here. I'm going to back the Army. <laughs> Uh, Army a letdown against Navy. They did not play well in that game. They were seven-point favorites, and they lost outright. That was a shocker, uh, and that hurt my cousin a lot. Uh, Army, <laughs> we know the armed forces can run the football. Army, one of the top rushing teams in all of college football. Mizzou, their opponent in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, is one of the worst rush defenses in all of college football. Like They gave up 200-plus rush yards per game. Here we go, yeah. Here's the, here's the exact stat here, Joe. The Black Knights are second nationally in rushing yards per game at 284. Missouri is 125th out of 130 teams, allowing 229 rush yards per game. So that's a whole. I think they're down their starting linebacker, 
too. Yeah, even worse. That's a horrible matchup for Mizzou. Army, I think they opened up as a four-point favorite. It's now at six and a half. I obviously would prefer four, but I still feel confident enough to take the uh, Black Knights of the Hudson at six and a half in everybody's favorite game, the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. And that's going to do it. Is, is that the, you know, it's not the Rose Bowls, the granddaddy of them all? Is that the, the, the second cousin twice removed of them all? Uh, it's the great granddaddy of them all. Oh, uh, wow. An even bigger no deal. Everybody looks forward to Amon G. Carter. So, yes. all right, that'll about do it, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the 1&0 Podcast. Appreciate the continued love and support. Make sure you all follow Joe on Twitter, at JosephCook89. Check out the great work he does over at InsideTexas.com. Perfect gift for the Longhorn fan in your life. Maybe it's you. Gift yourself a subscription to Inside Texas for the best UT content across all sports. And you can follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner. Listen to The Wheelhouse on ESPN Houston every weekday from 3 to 7 p.m. It is ESPN975.com if you are outside the listening area. Thanks again to our sponsors, Audiovisual Consultations and Altstat Beer. And thanks again to you guys. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to each and every one of you. We appreciate your continued support of what we do. It means the world to us. Wishing all of y'all all of the best to end 2021 and to start 2022. Until next time, y'all stay safe. Y'all stay healthy and hook them.